Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So we are continuing our Lenten journey through our prophetic scriptures as we are focused in this Lenten season on rebuilding the temple, coming back from exile. And our scriptures have all been about God's people from back in the Babylonian age, coming back from the Babylonian exile. When Babylon conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, they laid siege to that holy city of Jerusalem utterly destroyed the temple, and then took the upper echelons of the political, socioeconomic, and religious classes back as captives to live in exile in Babylon. And they created social chaos and disorder in doing so. But they also forced God's people to think and become creative about how they would worship, how they would be identified, and how they would continue to be faithful to God's covenant and their relationship with God. So as we are going back into this prophetic text of Isaiah, perhaps you yourself recognize things that we talk about consistently in the church. Perhaps you have talked in your own way about breaking the yoke of oppression. Now, that was certainly a theme throughout all of Isaiah, a very prolific prophet who had a lot to say, and we have many words by Isaiah. But what's also compelling about Isaiah is that our Lord Jesus Christ was very familiar with this prophetic text. Not only is Jesus familiar because Jesus is also God and therefore very familiar with it, but if you'll recall, when Jesus came back from his baptism and his trial in the wilderness, what he discovered is that when he went to his home synagogue, he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah and read to to the congregation gathered there from this scroll and boldly proclaimed that its reading had fulfilled the promises of the prophet. And the people didn't like that. But we ourselves are called to know this prophetic text. Jesus knew it, used it in his ministry, and as we'll see in a few minutes, Jesus used it in ways that we might not have even been aware that he was citing the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah had a monstrous task, trying to take a people who felt broken and battered, who were anxious and fearful, a people that were just trying to survive. They couldn't even fathom thriving in their situation and had to motivate them to prepare themselves and their children to come back out of this exile, to find a new life, to rebuild in some cases or to build new in others. They weren't going to come back to the way things had been. It had been 70 years that they had been in Babylon. And while they were there, life didn't just cease in the southern kingdom of Judah. People continued to go about their lives. Although life had been significantly shifted as the people could no longer center themselves around their worship and around their liturgical calendar. They could no longer fulfill what they thought was their duty to God in the same ways. And certainly people had become creative about how to do that, but they longed for the day when things would come back, when the people from whom they had been separated would return. They longed for the day when once more their highest and holiest place, the temple of God in Jerusalem, would be rebuilt so that they could do the things that they had covenanted to do in that covenant at Mount Sinai. 
They longed to be the people that they were striving to be before Babylon and that God wanted them to be long after Babylon. But they had so much work to do. And where do you start? And how do you go about this? So the words of the prophet were crucial to helping the people focus. And it gives us a very good place to start too. Now, all the prophets talk about social justice. They talk about how we treat one another and how we build our societies and cultures to become afflictions rather than blessings. And when we do that, the prophets call us to return, to look in ways in which we can perfect what we have done so that it will no longer harm, but instead bless and help. And that's precisely where the prophet starts in our reading today. God says, this is the fast that I choose for you. If you want to engage in a spiritual practice, then here is what I want. Loose the bonds of injustice. Set captives free. Not just untie the yoke so that they can slip out of the yoke, but break the yoke entirely so that no more can people be enslaved and put into servitude, whether financial, physical, or mental. But instead, that we might care for people in a way that is transformative, not only of ourselves and others, but of the very society in which we live. And it will go on to say, and here is the others, that you would share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, that when you see the naked, you will cover them and not hide yourself from your own kin. This is precisely the text that is the foundation and from which Jesus echoes in Matthew 25. There Jesus gives the parable of what it might look like when the Son of Man returns. And Jesus says, on the day of resurrection, when everyone has been resurrected, there I will separate the good from the bad, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats in his flock. And there he says, to those that have done what the will of God is, those who have given the hungry something to eat, given the thirsty something to drink, those that have welcomed the stranger, clothed the naked, visited and cared for the sick, and the imprisoned. Those are the ones who have served me and honored me, and those are the ones that will enter into the kingdom to come. Now, they were confused because when Jesus said, you know, you did this to me, and they said, well, we never did this to you. But Jesus reminds them, when you do it for any of my people, you do it for me. And the thing we must remember as disciples of Christ is that Jesus considers every human being his. Every person is part of the family of God beloved and known and precious in God's sight. And we are called to do the same. That's what would motivate us to give food to a hungry stranger. That's what would motivate us to make sure that someone who needed desperately radical hospitality could find it, whether it's in our own personal home, in our church, or finding ways to help them stay in their own home that might be under threat because of financial distress. We are those that are called to fulfill what Jesus says, echoing this prophet and his words to God's people. Ultimately, he goes on to say, when you see the naked, clothe them. Don't make fun of them or point out their failures. Instead, ensure that they have what they need. And above all, do not hide yourself from your own kin. And this is not avoiding a call from your mother. Instead, this is about recognizing that we are called to be in relationship and be in the presence of one another and to cultivate those relationships, not just with people that we share a genetic tie or a legal tie, but with people that we recognize because of our faith, we share a spiritual tie. Whether they recognize their relationship with God or not, we recognize that God wants to be in relationship with them. And so we show them unparalleled grace, hospitality, and love. 
And it goes forth to say that if you will do those things, then your light will break forth like the dawn and you shall be healed. And before, when we began this worship series, I talked about how the builder must be healthy. It doesn't matter how great your tools are or what your skills are. If your body is broken and weak, if your mind is not focused and careful, if your spirit is not in the work, then it won't be successful. I grew up with a father who had a lot of tools. My grandfather, my father's father, was a huge fan of tools. And my father had no sons. So I was the apprentice. And so my job was to make sure the level was already on hand, to know the difference between a flathead and a Phillips head, and to make sure that I knew what socket he was asking for, and to be always on the ready to go get it, and, and to make sure the pencil was sharpened. That was the other thing you had to do. And these were important things in the life of my family. I was there to help my father ultimately help our family. And so I knew that the tools had to be in good working order. My father had a preference for craftsmen, and so we you know, like to stay attuned to that. And I can remember many times going to Lowe's or Home Depot, going to our Sears Hardware back in the day, going to a store and having to stand there while my father looked at tools and thinking to myself, does it really matter? Does it really matter what we do? You know, does it, is the, all of this, you know, really, we're just trying to put something on the wall. Don't we have sufficient tools? But my father taught me that what's important is the quality of what we do. And that it's not just the quality of the tool, it's the quality of the one wielding the tool. Are we working on ourselves so that we are in peak condition, physically, mentally, and spiritually, to do the work ahead? If we just simply show up when all of the restrictions are lifted, we will not be prepared for what God is asking us to do. Because like the people living in exile in the prophet Isaiah's day, those people had had a shift in how they functioned and they were going to be coming back and you can't just slip right back into the way things were. Not only that, but God didn't want everything to be the same. God wanted some things to be different, to be better. God wanted some things that had never existed to come into existence. They themselves had been transformed by the isolation and by the exile God's people were separated from each other. There was a group that was there in Babylon and there was a group that had stayed back home and they needed to rekindle their relationships and their reconnection and they had holy work to do. And so God knew that if they were going to do precisely what the prophet was urging them to do, to set loose those that had been oppressed and captive and to make sure that their light was shining to inspire and to help people reconnect, then they were going to need to take the next step. And that's where the prophet informs us. If we continue to go on, that there are things that we must set aside so that we will be perfected. You have to remove the yoke from among you. That means that even within our families, our households, our circles, our small groups, and yes, our churches, that we must be willing to remove the yoke. To say that there will be people that have equal opportunity, that we will not force people to be in servitude, but instead learn to serve together. It's a different way of understanding who we are and what we do. The pointing of the finger that we will stop blaming one another for failures and flaws, but instead that we will focus on how we can all get better. Something went wrong. How do we learn from this? How do we get better and strive for excellence in all that we do? How do we go forward from here? And the speaking of evil. The speaking of evil is anything that condemns a human being. 
not just condemns them to the death penalty, but condemns them in the eyes of others, condemns them in their own self-image so that they feel torn down and unworthy or they feel shunned and hated. Those things need to be set aside so that you can offer food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, that your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noonday. For at the highest point of the sun's rays, there is no shadow. And that's what we are called to be, a people who are not in the shadow, but bask in the light of Jesus Christ. And the Lord will guide you and satisfy your needs, making sure your bones are strong. God is providing us not just spiritual health and helping us to find new mental health, but physical health, trying to make us as healthy and whole as we can possibly be in this lifetime. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Remember, that's what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well, that if she really knew who was talking with her, she would ask for that water. And Jesus knew that when people discovered the relationship and the glorious grace that Christ had to offer, that they would want it. You become attuned to that taste and nothing will satisfy you. Nothing will fill that God-shaped hole within us except the grace of God. And so we yearn for that. We need it. We need to share it with others so that they too will discover that incredible taste and their palate will shift spiritually so that they will want Christ and nothing else. And so that our ruins can be rebuilt, our ancient ruins. And you might be thinking, well, how ancient are our ruins? They go all the way back to the very beginning. We are spiritually descended from all of these people in the scriptures. The Jews that come back from the exile in Babylon are our people. Those are our people too. We are their descendants. From them come some of the very founders of Christianity, those that enacted what they learned from Jesus in three years of earthly ministry. Their descendants were the ancient Israelites, and their descendants were the family of Abraham. And you can go back even further than that to the very first human beings. And all of those built relationships, not structures, not things and places with bricks, but relationship. And God says, I will rebuild those relationships. Not just your relationship with me, says God, but with one another. I will rekindle those connections and you will find strength there. And we will raise up the foundations of many generations and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to live in. That we have a goal, and that is to make sure that people are reconnected and that our streets are places of joy once more. So how do we do it? How do we get ourselves ready for this? How do we find the strength and the courage and the wisdom to do all of these incredible, desirable things that feel too big for any one person? And they are. They are not meant for one. They are meant for all of us to do together. Well, at verse 13 it says, you, if you refrain from trampling the Sabbath and pursuing your own interests on my holy day. So what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath in the Old Testament terms was a specific day of the week. It was from sundown, because they're on a lunar calendar, sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. So almost all of daylight, well all of daylight on Saturday would have been your Sabbath day. And God commanded them this, and it finds its roots not just in Exodus and the covenant at Mount Sinai, but even further back to the creation story in Genesis, that God rested on that seventh day and hallowed it and made it sacred so that we might find rest at least one day a week. 
In the days of Babylon, people didn't have a weekend. They certainly didn't have two days. They didn't have any days. But God, from the very beginning, knows that our bodies, our minds, and our spirits need a day of rest. We need a day that we can set aside and not do everything that we do all the other days of the week. Now, maybe a weekend is sufficient for you, or maybe it doesn't. My weekend is not my Sabbath. On Saturday, I'm preparing for Sunday, and Sunday, I'm a little busy. So it doesn't work for me. My Sabbath day is Friday, and then that gives me a day to rest, to focus on my household and my family, to pay attention to my son, and to not do my work pieces, not to you know, read scripture in preparation for a sermon or read scripture in preparation for a Bible study or answer emails. That's a day where I can really rest and rejuvenate. And any scripture reading, any devotional I do that day is really just about me and my relationship with God. It's not about, let me see if I can two for this and do a little work for myself and a little work for the church. No, it's a day of rest. Now, other clergy might use Monday, but I'm so amped up after Sunday, I go to work on Monday. So for me, it's a Friday. But what day is it for you? What day is it that you set aside your earthly work? And to hallow something, to make it holy, means that you don't do the profane things. Not profanity, but the things that are ordinary and every day on those other days. That you don't do your work. That you're not checking your work email. You know, maybe it's a day that you don't get on the screen. Maybe it's a day that you go outside and enjoy and revel in creation. And that inspires you to reconnect with God and give thanks for the glory of creation. Maybe it's a day that you spend reconnecting with your family and your friends and God's family and friends. Maybe that's how you choose to spend your Sabbath. Not every Sabbath has to look exactly the same. And I truly believe that not every Sabbath actually has to be on the same day. We as Christians celebrate Sunday as the Lord's Day. Now, maybe the Lord's Day is your Sabbath. Maybe it's a day that you not only worship, but then you don't do work and you focus on your relationship with God even after you have worship. That would be great. But whatever you do, God is requiring us to have a Sabbath. And you might go, why? I'm high output. I'm able to do many things. I feel fine. And that's great. But the day and the time may come when you're physically, mentally, or spiritually not. Many of us have to recognize that even if we are involved in ministry all during the week and, and we're very involved in worship on Sunday, we still need a day for our spirit to rest and refresh we need a day so that we're not constantly pouring out our spirit and our ministry and our mission work, but there's a day where God is pouring back into us, refilling our well so that we can continue to do this, not just for a time, but for all of our lives. We don't retire from being Christians, but if we don't pace ourselves and use the gift of the Sabbath, then we will burn out. We will burn out of our service in the church. We will burn out in our service in the world, and that is is a travesty. That is not what God wants from God's people. So we do need a day. Maybe it's a day of physical rest. Maybe it's a day of mental rest. That's why you unplug. Maybe it's somehow miraculously all three. But God knew that one of the best things that they could do for themselves and one another and their relationship with God was to rekindle the holiness of the Sabbath day. And we are called to the same. Maybe you're like me. At one point, it felt like every day was exactly the same while we were in isolation in the pandemic. And I saw the same people. And I love my son, but 
wow, now we're together all the time and we haven't been like this since you were in the womb and I didn't have to listen to you all the time and you didn't leave dishes in the sink. And so that's a completely different relationship. So when you're with someone all the time, yes, sometimes you can get agitated with someone and you're not really even agitated with them. It's just the context of the situation. So having a day of Sabbath lets us take a break. It lets us rejuvenate. There's a place in my house that I like to go on my Sabbath day and I curl up with the dogs and I read some scripture just for me, just what I want to read. And I get to have my time there and I have a cup of coffee. And when I'm in that chair, everybody knows to leave me alone, that that's my time. And I start out my morning like that and then it sets the pace for the rest of my day. And that's what's really important on the Sabbath is that you are using your actions and your mindset and your spiritual disciplines in order to rest and reconnect with God. Now, some of us reconnect through people. I am definitely one of those. But we also have to reconnect through the other things that God gives us. Worship, prayer, individual prayer, and praying together. Praying with one another is an incredible spiritual discipline. Searching the scriptures individually and in community. Some of the best moments I have ever had reading scripture are not on my Sabbath. They happen when I am in Bible study with other people. And there's something about the movement of the Spirit in that context that cannot be replicated by myself. It cannot be replicated in any other spiritual discipline that I can practice. And so those are moments where God is not only increasing our wisdom and our knowledge and experience with the Scriptures, but God is simultaneously forging community in those small groups. What an incredible gift that is. That is something that we are encouraged to do in this passage of Isaiah, to reconnect with God and one another. And if we do this, says God, if you honor this day, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs, but if you truly hallow a day so that what you say and do and how you treat yourself reflects the relationship that you want with God, then you will delight in the Lord. You will have hope. And God says, I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will take you places and show you things that you could never otherwise experience. Because that is the gift that comes with and the reward of this relationship. And God doesn't even clearly define it. You know, you almost go, well, what exactly does that look like? And what will I feel like? What will I see? Where are we going? But God says, it is something that you must experience. It is not something that can be described by a prophet or anyone else. And there are moments like that. You know, one of the things that has been missing for so long in the life of the church is what we call the ministry of presence. It is about being with people because sometimes it's not about what you say or what you pray or what you're doing. It's about just being with people. And there were so many times that caused me great mental and spiritual distress in the midst of this pandemic because I could not be with people, people that I had always been with in their moments of need or when they called, I was able to go. And not being able to go there was tragic and it caused incredible depression and distress in me, in my spirit and in my mind because I knew that other people were hurting and what they wanted was that presence to be with one another. And then finally, we had one of our church members who was approaching the last days of her life. And there had been just enough of a break in the pandemic so that as she was doing that, I was able to go and visit her. And for the first time in 10 months, I held her hand. And there are no words to describe what that meant. That I could go into her hospital room and I could reach under that sheet and she took my hand and the 
ferocious grip that she had, even in the midst of this. And she held my hand for almost two hours. And it wasn't about the words that we spoke or the prayers that we offered or the laughs that we had. It was about that connection, that physical touch. And that is so powerful and so profound. That is something that many of us yearn for. So many of our grandparents have talked about how they aren't able to hug their grandchildren and how they have missed that and that it hurts their heart and their spirit and that weighs heavily upon us because those connections are so important. And so we do need them. We recognize that we need them, but we have to be smart and intelligent about how we come back together. Are we willing to be a people that just allow the restrictions to lift and put others at risk? Or do we recognize that our connection is so important and presence is such a gift that we're not going to profane it by not being attentive to others, to their safety and their health? It's hard. And, you know, you think about wearing the mask, and obviously what I do is very difficult in a mask. But if wearing a mask will keep you safe, if wearing a mask means that we can safely enter back into a time where we can at least be in the same place and have that ministry of presence, then is that not what we are called to do? To think of the other. If we are called to give the hungry something to eat and the thirsty something to drink and to clothe the, clothe the naked, then we are called to be considerate and thoughtful about the health of the very same. So it is something that we have to work upon, and it will take great fortitude and endurance. It takes a lot of endurance to preach in a mask. It takes a lot of endurance to abide by things that feel counterintuitive and in conflict with what our heart yearns to do. But we do them because they are important, because the lives that will be impacted otherwise are sacred, beloved, important to us as individual disciples and as the body of Christ. So this is our time to use that great gift of the Sabbath and to use it in such a way so that we are strengthened and encouraged. Now, maybe you're not physically where you wanted to be in the midst of a pandemic. Maybe you're not mentally where you want to be. Maybe spiritually you feel like you've atrophied. If any of these things apply to you, God says the Sabbath is the start to your rehabilitation. It is the beginning of rekindling your physical, mental, and spiritual strength. It is that font from which God will pour out the living water of Jesus Christ to give you strength, to help your parched soul, and to remind you that better days are coming, to sustain you as we progress toward that. When I got my first vaccine shot, I thought, I feel like I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, it's a little off to the side. It's not quite right here, but I feel like I can see it, which means that if I can see that light, I have work to do to journey toward it. We all have that work ahead of us. For some of us, it's about our vaccines. For some of us, it's about our health checks. For some of us, it's about staying mentally healthy so that we can do all the things that we need to do. But for every single one of us, it's about our spirituality. Because when our bodies fail us at the ends of our lives, when our minds change and sometimes they slip and don't hold on to memories or motor skills, when things change here, the one thing that endures is our spirit and our spirituality. And that's for all people of every age, every nation, every race, every persuasion. So what we do and begin on our Sabbath carries through the week. So what day will you use to honor the Lord 
And in what way will you honor that Sabbath? Because your choices will change how you think and act, feel, and are in ministry and mission for all the rest of the days of the week. And indeed, all the rest of the days of your life. May you find that day and that way so that you can be the vessel that Christ has brought you redemption to be. May it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.